Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Welcome to Hacks for Life. I'm Galen Jones, your host, and I'm here with uh, Scott Rahi, a good friend, and we've been talking about the the overall topic has been apologetics, which means you know to uh, to believe in God uh, carries that idea, and this is a, a continuation of a previous conversation, and I would encourage all of you to kind of go back and. Uh, you may catch us one conversation in the middle of another conversation, so I would encourage you to to uh, back up and listen because we're going to continue. And we're talking about um, how, as as humans, we have objective moral duties and obligations as we spend whatever time we have here on this planet. So, Scott, uh, kick it off. Yep. To just summarize again from last time. The idea of morality is very much available to us. You know, as as an individual, I don't have to have any particular set of beliefs to know that there are certain things that are that are right for me to do. There are certain things that are wrong for me to do. And I believe that these, for lack of a better term, these moral laws um, are evidence that God exists. They're evidence of a moral lawgiver. And we know that we don't live up to these things. We know that we fail. You know, in Christian terms, you think of it as the term is sinning. Um, but everybody talks about moral failings. And um, the fact that we have these moral failings means that there's a standard that we don't meet. Well, I think that standard is a moral law, and I think that moral law comes from a moral lawgiver. Yeah. It's interesting that in the biblical text, um, the trans the word translated for sin Mm-hmm. carries the idea of missing the mark. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way uh, to do it. Yeah. So, you know, when we see that, of course, you know, it, uh, it, it's, it appears that socially today we've tried to erase that word sin. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting that we don't seem to have the capacity to erase the idea that we've missed the mark. Yeah. In, yeah. in some ways in our life. And so what is this mark, quote, unquote, that we're talking about? That's what, we, that's what we're addressing here. And I want to start today by, by referring to a verse in Scripture as a way to help um, explain the moral law. But it's actually in uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. And let me read it. Um, Paul's writing, and he says, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. And we're talking about the Mosaic law here. Uh, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And here's the important part. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. I think what Paul is saying here is we're all aware of this moral law. It's imprinted on us. It's part of being made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And God reveals his moral nature to us. And we don't have to even believe in God there's a lot of secular people out there, and they, they're just as aware of this 
as we are, and they try and explain it for you know in other ways, but mm-hmm. it's still available to them. And let me, I want to talk about the idea of moral relativism, um, because the secular community will say morality isn't objective; morality is relative, and what it means, what that means, is that the belief ha- they they, ha- they hold uh, this belief, the belief that uh, has no universal standard uh, by which to assess whether an ethical proposition is true. In other words, if you personally hold a belief about something and I hold a belief about something, you know, who's to say who's right? Because it's it's just relative. There's nothing about morality that is objective. There's no there's no place where you say, well, this person that believes A and this person who believes B, well, B is wrong because there's an objective morality that says A is right. They would reject that idea. Does that make sense? Yeah, let me let me kind of Feed that back to you what I'm understanding. Yep. And and you know in our in our social climate today, um, postmodernism has brought us to this idea of that truth is relative. Doesn't even exist in many cases. So yeah. you know whatever you think, and you know you, you were talking about uh, observable things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would do some pushback pushback on that and say, well, you know. <clears throat> this whole idea of truth being relative or uh, moral ob- uh, objectivism, um, and you can we can see the consequences of that. Yeah, we can. And, I agree. And, and I don't I don't know that many people, as long as it's not affecting them. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting that when it affects them, that well, that's not you know we don't do that. But, yeah. Um, when I can distance myself from it and I can look out there and go, well, you know, that's that's just, you know, they're they're just crazy. That it's know. just moral, yeah. And and C.S. Lewis, the the opening probably forty pages of his book Mere Christianity is him basically building a case for the moral law. He's that's his main that's that whole section. That's what that's about. And he starts it off. I think it's even in the first paragraph where he says, look, you can say that that reality is. I'm sorry that mor- morality is relative, but as soon as you say that, if somebody takes your seat on the bus, you're not going to assume, oh, well, that's fine. He has a different morality than me. You're going to say, you did something wrong. You're appealing to this common um, standard that you expect that both of you are subject to. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, what you're saying is right. You said, I think, last time, they may say this. They can't live by it, you know. And I, I've, I, I tend to be a bit more extreme sometimes in my examples. And I'll, when I'm talking to somebody, I say, "Okay, so if you believe in moral relativism, let's assume that I live across the street from you, and I want a better view of the sunset. And in my moral viewpoint, the best way for me to get a good sunset is to burn your house down. So I, I don't have an obstructed view. Am I wrong about that? Well." That leads to interesting places, and you know, <laughs> I get different answers at different times. But it, if you take these arguments to their logical conclusion, you can say things like that because what's the standard that says it's wrong to burn somebody's house down? Well, there, there's really not. There's not an objective one. Yeah, um, it's kind of like being in a race and they keep moving the finish line. Yeah, I mean, so yeah exactly. <laughs> where is it? So what? Uh, uh, the secular community will will say there are two pot usually, maybe a few other ones, but. Primarily, they will say there are two possible places that morality comes from. One of them is called cultural relativism, mm-hmm. and that is a nation or a society defines what's right and wrong. So our constitution, I had a conversation with a guy I used to work with that very um, 
a very vocal conservative that very much believes in right and wrong, but he believes that it's based on the Constitution. And I would ask him, i say, well, why is the Constitution our standard? You know, what is it that makes the Constitution right? What if I disagree with the Constitution? And he, he, you know, he talks about, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but that's one of them where the Constitution, the, the society decides what's right and wrong. And I'll t- there's some interesting implications with that, and we'll do in just a second. And the other one is personal relativism, which we've kind of been talking about, which is I decide what's right and wrong. You decide what's right and wrong. We don't have to agree. And they'll typically associate that with things like sexuality or drug use or something like that. Hey, you know, I want to do this. Who's to say that I'm right Who's to, or, or that, that I'm wrong? Who's to say that you're right? And it tends to be about their own personal freedom and their ability to do something even and not be judged for it. Right. And as long as you're not doing something immoral or sexual, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. that, that uh, is uh, – that conflicts with what – they have going on in their life yep. it's all okay but That's again right. you know what i've what i've seen and i and i appreciate the conversation here scott that uh it's it's all it's easy for us to make a lot of arguments about a lot of things mm-hmm. um that really sound good looks good on paper mm-hmm. <laughs> but it practically it just doesn't work it doesn't work and let me explain let me let me give some examples of why it doesn't work i drew this list there's a book called relativism feet firmly planted in midair which is a good name for a book and it's got it's by greg kokel oh, so this is a book it's a book yeah. i thought you it's okay. a book uh, by greg kokel and francis beckwith and what they do is they take the ideas of cultural and personal relativism and they say well let's apply that and see how it works and they make the point that um there can't be such a thing as an immoral society. If a society decides what's right and wrong, then what the Nazis decided is right for their society, you know, slaughtering millions of Jews, it's morally right. There's nothing wrong with that. And furthermore, anybody that resisted the Nazis by the definition of, you know, cultural relativism, that's the person that's immoral because he's resisting his society. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, especially in 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 our times where there's a lot of political turmoil. Um, so, based on what what we're proposing here is, uh, we should not ever complain about any other any other country that might have slaves. They might have uh, uh, concentration camps. They. they you know, it's their culture. It's their culture, so yeah. it, it it's all okay. In fact, at the Nuremberg trials after World War II, that was one of the questions is, does the society get the right to determine what's right and wrong for that society? And the prosecutors of the Nuremberg trials said, look, there's a higher moral standard than society. And that was how they were able to say, we need to impose our morality upon you. Not really imposing our morality on you, but we all have higher standard and you're you're not looking to the right place for the standard let me take it another step here what you just said is true there can't be such a thing as an immoral law in a society if the society decides what's moral what does that mean pre-civil war slavery in the united states was moral because our society decided that slavery was a was a moral thing back then and furthermore People like Martin Luther King that stood against um, racial discrimination, he's an immoral man under this sta- under this standard mm-hmm. because he, he opposed the laws of the time. Right. Now, 
the secular people that hold to cultural relativism, relativism don't like to hear that, but there's no real way out of it. If society decides what's right and Martin Luther King stands against it, well, society's right. Martin Luther King's wrong. He's the immoral one. Furthermore, there can't be any such thing as moral improvement. If I'm trying to improve my society, how do you improve on a standard that's already been set by the society? I've decided that, that slavery is fine. I've decided that racial segregation is fine. Where's the, where's the, where does the improvement come from? There's no, a, there's no external standard that I can say, you know what, this doesn't meet that mark. Let's get closer to the mark. Let's get closer to the mark. It's, it's, th- that doesn't exist yeah. in cultural rel- no. relativism. I do want to say here just real quickly, I don't want our listeners to, to maybe get confused. We're not proposing that slavery no, we're or any of these things, uh, segregation, discrimination, are okay. Yeah, what, we're, we're saying, what it, we're saying it's not yes. okay. What we're saying is if you embrace this model of cultural relativism, then you lose the ability to stand against things like slavery or racial discrimination or any you know anything that society would say, you know, the slaughtering of the Jews. Mm-hmm. If society says it's okay, if you're a cultural relativist, you have to believe that the culture decides what's right and wrong. And that means that the Nazis were right. That means people that embrace slavery are right. That means all kinds of terrible things. And the thing that's interesting is when somebody's listening to this and they're objecting in their mind to it and they're feeling that, well, that's just wrong. That's the moral law that you're feeling. Yeah, that's the God part. That's the image of God. And you're aware of it and you're tapping into that. You're going... Yeah, there's something there that says the society doesn't get to tell me whether slavery is right or not. I know that slavery is wrong. Right, right. So it's interesting. And that's one of the things that's really powerful about this idea of morality is it's not a theoretical thing that I got to read in a book. It's something that's immediately and constantly available to me. Right. I just need to take the time to reflect on that. Right. Um, And one of the things that I always try to do is just to help um, people – that God places in my life to discover the God part, because this is, to me, the essence of the God part. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's talk about what one just one of the things that atheists will say. And you, there's in Richard Dawkins' books, he talks a little bit about. He gives some examples of how animals learn to cooperate, and in order to survive, they have to be able to cooperate with each other. And I, I forget the exact example, but. You'll hear that where people will say, look, society can't function and you can't um, continue to flourish unless you have um, unless you've agreed to cooperate. Society will fall apart. So that by itself becomes sort of an objective, in a sense, an objective moral standard. You have to cooperate or you can't survive. Of course, nobody stops to say, well, who says it's right to survive? You know, in a relativistic mm-hmm. world, who says that you should flourish? There's mm-hmm. no what's the standard out there that says flourishing is a good thing. But I want to just just addressing this idea of cooperation. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pause you here. So so what what I and and maybe our, our some of our listeners are having the same question. So basically, if we're not here to thrive, then. Death is meaningless. Is that all, all of it's meaningless? Yeah, everything's meaningless. I mean, so ultimately, everything. You know, it doesn't matter if we. The heat death of the universe is going to wipe out every accomplishment, every thought, every good thing that's ever been done, and the works of Hitler are not going to end up being ultimately of any difference than what Mother Teresa has done. Um, yeah, that's that's the ultimate implication for a uh, wow. for <laughs> relative, moral relativism. Wow. 
Um, So what they'll say is, look, you have to be able to cooperate to survive. Society has to have this cooperative model. I can't just run off and do my own thing. So in a sense, this cultural relativism, the reason the Nazis fell apart is they didn't cooperate. The reason that slavery is wrong is because there's no cooperation that's going. You have to get along with other people, and it just sort of you, it sort of evolves that way. And that's why we got rid of slavery, and that's why the Nazis were defeated and whatnot. I would argue that cooperation works in some cases, not in every case. If you've got sufficient power to enforce your will, then you don't have to cooperate with anybody. Joseph Stalin had extreme power over the Soviet Union, and he killed millions of people, and he did exactly what he wanted, and nobody had to cooperate with him, and he didn't have to cooperate with any of his subjects. He just did what he wanted to do. It's the same thing with Mao. It's the same thing with, there's a, in Haiti, a Papadak Duvalier, uh, Slobodan Milosevic in Serbia, and um, you know Fidel Castro in Cuba. All of these, you get sufficient power, this idea of cooperation falls apart. That doesn't mean that I disagree that we need to cooperate. I do think we need to cooperate. But at the same time, if you're setting that as the reason for morality to exist, all you have to do is find one exception to that and say, well, it doesn't work in this case, so it can't be the only, it can't be the absolute reason for this. And we've got exceptions to it. Yeah. I I think we have several exceptions to the rule. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. One other thing, just real quick, and then we'll wrap this one up and we'll keep going. I want to talk briefly about the idea of self-sacrifice. Um, in a relativistic model, the idea of me doing things that aren't in my best interest, it's difficult to say why I would do that. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. I, I think I see where you're going. Why would I do something for other people if I'm deciding what's right and wrong for me? Or even if culture decides what's right and wrong. I guess in some senses, culture, you can you can almost get around that. But People will say, look, um, whatever you do is ultimately based on self-interest. <clears throat> and that works only until you're in a situation where there's absolutely no self-interest involved, and yet you still feel compelled to do certain things. And you're always compelled to do the thing that seems like it's it's not in your self-interest. And an example that I've used is the idea of imagine a school bus that is – a bunch of elderly people that are, you know, fully disabled. Maybe they're they have profound mental issues and they can't think clearly or any of that stuff. And there's a bus and it's burning. You still feel compelled to go in and try and help those people, putting your own life in the, at risk. There's no no advantage to it. There's nothing that you will get out of it. There's nothing that there's no personal gain to it. And yet you still feel that compulsion that it's right to try and save that to person. Help. And yeah. that person has no quality of life. I mean, they're just unaware of the world around them. They're completely paralyzed, and yet it's still wrong to let that person burn up in a, in a fire. That, to me, is above and beyond the idea of cultural norms and you know the culture deciding what's right and wrong, me deciding what's right and wrong. You just feel this sense of tugging that says, go do that. That's the right thing. And mm-hmm. you have to put yourself at personal risk to do it in those circumstances. I just wow. think all of that just defeats this idea of... Um, relative morality. I think there's other arguments against it, but we're we're running up against the time, so why don't we pause here and then we'll continue here uh, in the next conversation. Okay, great. I I really appreciate that. You know, that that tug that we all have, you know, we see someone stranded on the road uh, and there's, you know, for, for many, there is that 
you know, a person's, you know, stranded on the road and you want to stop and go, um, you need some help. You know, sometimes, you know, they, they just roll down the window. You got everything okay. Um, there's no personal gain there. Nobody's, you know, they're, they're, it's not on camera. Nobody's going to be able to, to see it. <clears throat> yep. um, that's uh, And they may be a predator trying to hurt, hurt you as well. Uh, yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. You know, who knows? Who knows? Yep. Uh, appreciate the conversation, Scott. Look forward to the next uh, time we have time to talk. You bet. You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit, Christ centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972 243 4673. That's 972 243 4673. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.